This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, we've had two games since we were last with you. Four points collected, which from an away game and a home game, you would think would feel like a pretty good return. But I think we're all sat here pretty disappointed after the two performances and two games that we were largely the dominant side in that it's not six from six. I don't think we can be... The ironic thing is the, the game that we that we didn't take three points from is probably the one where you can criticise the performance uh, the least, to be honest, uh, because I thought we actually played worse at Rotherham in in the week than we did at home to Stoke um, on Sunday afternoon, Sunday lunchtime. But unfortunately, as the football gods would have it, that's the one where we drop points as opposed to the one where I actually thought we were we were a little bit toothless until Grady got a deflected shot in and and Jed whipped in a wonderful free kick. But Pete, I think it, I think it's fairly reasonable. If I don't think anybody's got any, should have any real reason to be particularly angry with the two performances. I would suggest, um, or have any real major concerns over the two performances. But I think if people are sat here on Sunday afternoon or when, uh, Sunday evening or whenever it is that they're listening to this, feeling that we should have six points rather than four from the past week, I think they're very justified in feeling that way, don't you? Yeah, I thought uh, Rotherham, like you say, we didn't create too many chances. And had it not been for the deflected effort from Grady and then a brilliant free kick from from Jed, then we could have easily walked away there with just just the one point. Um, I mean, we completely stifled Rotherham. They didn't create anything either, but we probably didn't really create enough to to merit winning the game. 
Um, 0.1 xg played 0.5 xgp which i have to say i don't uh, i mean we've both of us have just sat and watched united v liverpool (laughs) wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't much uh, much uh, around that uh, that sort of area because it was an absolutely terrible game but you don't you don't see a lot of games where the total xg is 0.6 i mean it it kind of it screams awful game of football doesn't it yeah it definitely wasn't a thriller but we got the job done and we got the three points, which is what's important. Um, and then against Stoke, it, it was, again, we created more chances. We Definitely an improved performance in the one, one against Rotherham. But um, Stoke obviously got a very lucky goal. And then we they had a keeper that was performing quite well at the other end as well. So it was an improved performance, but the, the points tally from it wasn't improved. Now, against Stoke, as you say, improved performance, 1.33 XG from Albion, played 0.48. And, you know, Albion fell behind to an absolute freak goal. You don't see a lot of goals, Pete, that have an XG value of 0.01, but Lyndon Gooch's did. Um, And from there, Albion obviously battled back into into the game. And, I mean, we'll, we'll sort of start really outside of the goals. And you, you've meant, you've touched on the goalkeeper's performance. We've got to give Bonham credit, really. I mean, he's had an absolutely fantastic game. I, I've lit, I've picked out three three big chances, the three big saves I felt he made in the game. Sarmiento's on 27 minutes had a post-shot expected goals of 0.36. Pippers, uh, sorry, Brandon's on 85 minutes, the one where he gets a touch right in front of the goalkeeper, had a post-shot expected goals of 0.72. So, 72% of the time that goes in the back of the net and Pippers in the 89th minute the one towards the top corner had a post shot expected goals of 0.22 now you add all of that up and that means that there was a post shot expected goals on on those three chances alone the three saves that Bonham made from those three chances of 1.3 you very very rarely see a team create three chances all of which have a better than one in five chance of going in. One of them having a three out of four chance of going in and the goalkeeper saving every single one of them. They were three excellent saves. And if he'd made one of those stops in the game, you'd you'd hold your hand up and say fair play to him. For him to have made all three, Pete, is... I mean, it's staggering, but it's, it's also utterly, utterly frustrating because... It shouldn't happen, and 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 I mean, I said on I said on X after the game, we win that game ninety nine times out of a hundred, and whilst I haven't checked the data to 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 find to find that out, and probably the XG doesn't, it, that's one of those football turns of phrase that's utter rubbish, um, and the data probably doesn't back up the fact that we would win it ninety nine times out of a hundred. What I would say is that ninety nine times out of a hundred. I mean, first of all, you can you can say that. Um, 72 times out of 100, he doesn't stop Brandon Thomas Asante's shot for a start. He he just doesn't, in any other game, in any other week, he doesn't make those all three of those saves. That's I think we can say that with almost certainty. I think we can say 99 times out of 100, the goalkeeper does not make all three of those saves. He might make one, he might make two, but he does not make all three of them, does he? No, there's some some really good saves. Sometimes that just happens in games. Sometimes keepers have really good games against you, and sometimes they have poor games. So it's unfortunate for us because looking at those chances and the shots, you think maybe we've done enough to to deserve a second goal. But um, I mean, if you look at the the expected goals, then it's I think we created about one point five 
expected goals. So maybe not enough for to be worthy of two goals. Um, you know, it's it's something that maybe we need to to improve on. I think again, going back to the Rotherham game, it was a similar situation and not quite the, to the same extreme against Stoke, but both teams kind of wanted to sit back and, and defend a fair bit into low blocks, and I think that's when we've struggled to break teams down quite a lot. Um, when there's not much space in the the final third and teams really want to shut us down and and that's when we struggled to create chances and it kind of showed in the Rotherham game albeit we got away with it um, and scored two against Stoke you know we got one but it was in a game where we needed more than one and yeah we just need to to find a way to create more chances in those kind of games so that we're not kind of butting our nails in the last 10 minutes thinking are we going to get another one or are we going to concede on the break um, if we create a few more chances then even if the goalkeeper had made some great saves, you, you, you well increase your likelihood of walking away with three points, don't you? And that's almost exactly what Carlos Corbran said after after the game, Pete. He was um, he was critical of the players, saying we didn't get the ball into the into the final third uh, quickly enough. He he basically said, look, what he's looking for because he wanted the ball into the into the wide players quickly. He saw it as two. Pretty, he he described it as two simple passes, um, one one through into Furlong and Townsend, and uh, Furlong or Townsend, I should say, and then the other one into the wide player, which obviously changed throughout the game. At times, it was um, it was Grady, sometimes it was Wallace, sometimes it was Sarmiento. Pippa came on, Fellows as well, but whoever it was that that was that was out there, he wanted those two passes to happen quickly, and he made it very clear in his post match that. That didn't happen enough. And he also said something which I thought was was really interesting, Pete, because uh, I've just highlighted the quality of the goalkeeping there. And there's no denying the fact that the goalkeeper made some very, very good saves. And, you know, we have to credit the opposition goalkeeper because he's a part of the team and he's entitled to play well. But Corbran basically said if because uh, the, the interviewer said he, he he's made a number of very good saves, he said, but... If, if the if the goalkeeper makes five good saves, we've got to create six chances. If the goalkeeper makes six good saves, we've got to create seven chances. It's not acceptable to just say the goalkeeper saved uh, saved our shots. If, if you you've you've just got to create more chances than the goalkeeper can save. Basically, was the the gist of the message from from Carlos Corbran. And I I thought two things were were very very interesting with with Carlos because he's very meticulous in the way he goes through the game, Pete. And I thought it was really interesting, first of all, the fact that I think he's extremely honest in the things that he says. And today he decided to not let the players off the hook for the fact that we didn't create enough in that football match. Because, as I say, I didn't come away from that football match feeling particularly negative in any way, shape or form. I didn't feel angry at the players. I didn't feel like we'd underperformed. I genuinely, it was one of those games where, and it's odd that you feel this way when a goalkeeper has a good game, because... A goalkeeper, as I say, is a part of the eleven, and they're as entitled to 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 have have a good game as anybody else. But it seems to be a a, a form of football parlance that you come out with. We'd have won that if it weren't for the goalkeeper. It's like, well, they're allowed to pick one. <laughs> you never say we'd have won that if it weren't for the striker. You know what I mean? It it's it, it's odd that we almost negate the um the performance of the goalkeeper and it, it's very interesting that Carlos Corbran refuses to do that and when the goalkeeper has a good game he just says we well, should have done more to beat him then it's that simple I don't care how well he's played create another chance and give him no chance this time and I think that's I think it's it's interesting that he picks his moments to be critical 
of the players because they're, they're often the moments when the fans aren't the most critical of the players. And also, I think it's really interesting because it's a very positive mental attitude, Pete. It's very, it's very front foot. And we've seen this from, from Corbran all, all season. You know, he, we've lost two games going for it on, on 1-1 on against Huddersfield and Leicester because he refuses to settle for a draw against anyone, really. And also he's, he's there now saying, if he saves five shots, you create six. Uh, it, end, end of story. It's a very positive attitude and people get on, it can get on his back a little bit just because of the the style of play that he wants to play, this style where he does want to draw the opposition onto us and uh, and almost it's like a it's like a game of chicken at times you know what i mean it's like it's like we're having a standoff and we're, we're and it's and it's whoever blinks first loses um it it's like it's like that bit in the wolf of wall street where uh, where where he where he says and you wait and whoever speaks first loses and that's and that's kind of that's kind of carlos corbran's style of play summed up and it does drive the fans crackers and I, or some fans, I should say, and you heard it today. You heard some some people vocalising their their displeasure. And obviously, Corbram wanted us to get it forward quicker at times. He said as much. But there is no doubt in my mind that we have an extremely positive manager who wants to go out and play attacking football and win games. He wants to do it with a defensive solidity. That that much is also very very clear, Pete. But he's so positive. And he wants to win football matches and he doesn't settle for draws. And he says, if you've taken five shots and they and, and, and enough of them haven't gone in, take six, take seven. And I think people need to start recognising that about him, that he has tactics and they have worked for him. They've served him well. He's only had one very brief negative period, really, in his managerial career. OK, he got off to a bit of an iffy start at, at Huddersfield, but then he got him into the playoffs in his second season. He's obviously had... Pretty much nothing but success with us. He had a bit of a dodgy time at Olympiacos, but what was it, 10, 12 games? I mean, I think we can write that off. He, he, the way he plays has brought him success, and he's not going to change. He's not going to change that. Nobody should ever paint Carlos Corbran as anything close to negative, Pete, should they? Because he comes out after games, and if he, if we haven't won, he wants to know why we've not done more to the, uh, to win the game. Whereas... You've heard so many players come out in previous eras under Sam Allardyce, under Tony Pulis, and come out with the line of, oh, we're always taught, you have your point, and if you can't win the game, you don't give your point away. You know, you, if, if you can't win the game, you don't lose the game. I don't ever hear that. I don't ever hear that from Corbran. Corbran, uh, Corbran literally came out of the, 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 the game after Leicester and said, but... Winning the game is plus two and losing it is only minus one in terms of points. So who cares if we lose, if we're trying to win, as long as sometimes when we try to win, we win. Because in the end, I'll be up in terms of points. You never heard those things from Sam Allardyce players. You never heard those things from Tony Pulis players. It's a completely different type of attitude. And the fans need to recognise that. Yeah, he wants to win games. Um, and like you say, we, the goalkeeper made a few good saves. Yeah, I agree with Corbran in that we've just got to create more chances. Whilst you were speaking around the numbers and how likely we were to come away with three points, and according to, well, based on the chances that each team created, it's 60% of the time we come away with three points and 12% of the time we come away with none. 
so we created chances and the goalkeeper made good saves, but we probably didn't create enough to really, to really completely secure the victory. And we can't be too disappointed with coming away with only one, um, based on the performance because, I mean, yes, um, Stoke scored a fluke goal and the keeper made some good saves, but we just need to do more. And I agree with Corran for that, but it's obviously, it's obvious that he wants to, to create more chances. Um, quite often we find ourselves in tight games where if we do win, we only win by one, but, I don't think that's exactly what Corran wants. He doesn't just grab a goal and completely sit back. Um, I think we control the, the control the game a bit more when we do take the lead, but I don't think it's it's the case of just you know sitting back and parking the bus. It's just you know man, managing the risks that you're taking a bit more, taking a few fewer risks, and but still looking to go forward when the time's right and create chances. It's just we struggle to do that against teams that sit back and in a low block and get a lot of bodies behind the ball and make it really tight in the final third. So we need to find a way to create more chances in those kind of games because I think we're most threatening when teams kind of step onto us and leave a bit more space in their defensive third, in our attacking third, for us to, to play through quickly and, and play into big open spaces where we can then create chances um, because we're pretty secure in possession at the back. So, yeah, like I say, we need to, to find a way to break down the teams that, that don't want to step onto us and don't want to press us um, and just want to sit back and, and defend for long periods. Yeah, and in terms of going forward, Pete, I think one of the players that we have to talk about is um, is Jed Wallace because the skipper's come back from injury with a real with a real bang, hasn't he? I mean, he obviously he came back into the into the Rotherham game, um, didn't have an awful lot of time in that, but scored an absolutely belting free kick. Goals in off the bar, they're just they're just better. They're just better, and I mean against. Um, Against Stoke, I thought he was everything to our attacking play. I thought his energy was absolutely unreal. Um, his average position was higher than Brandon's. Um, he had the expo- highest expected assists on the pitch of 0.42, which was way, way higher than the, uh, the next highest, which was Moat with only 0.18. He had more touches in the opposition box than Brandon. And Brandon, interestingly, in that statistic, was third behind Sarmiento. And I do think we need to just have another brief chat about Brandon because it's it's an odd one, really, with him because his goals actually are looking quite good. But it's kind of like it's what's he contributing outside of the goals, I suppose, is a bit of a bit of a question. Um, but I mean, he had the most chances created of uh, of three. He had three out of four accurate uh, long balls, but he also recovered the ball as much as any Albion player six times, which is absolutely fantastic. And it just shows how hard he worked, Pete. I mean, he's, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's interesting because you put him side by side with Swift, who apparently missed the game with, uh, with a minor injury um, on Sunday. And Swift has kind of, uh, for me, has really struggled to get his levels back after injury and yet Wallace just has just come back in against Rotherham and then against Stoke and it's like he's never been away like he he has he just he hasn't he hasn't missed a beat has he and it's his performances his performance particularly against Stoke was fantastic but I mean that free kick against Rotherham was a thing of beauty and I, as I as I said before, he's one that's come come in for a bit of stick. I didn't never really understood why, because I don't really understand criticizing a player who quite clearly is giving everything for the shirt. But he's not only giving everything for the shirt now, but he is 
really, really getting to grips with his role in this team. And he's, I think he's going to be a massive player for the rest of the season, don't you? Yeah, Jed was brilliant. Um, I think he was the best player on the pitch. And like you say, come back in and like he hasn't been away with injury. Um, the free kick against Rotherham was obviously brilliant. Like, yeah, definitely agree with goals in off the bar, unless they're crosses that end up as a goal. And float over your own keeper. Yeah, um, that that is that's the exception that that uh, that, that proves the that proves the rule. Jeez. <laughs> but yeah, he was Wallace was brilliant um, against Stoke, and I think he looked a bit more natural because he was allowed to operate a bit more as a winger than he has done in so far this season. Um, he's had a few games where he's played more of a winger, but a lot of the time he's kind of playing as a second striker, um, and it it worked quite nicely because he could put crosses in and. And make runs in behind and then and also slide balls through to overlapping fullbacks. Um in the first half he was doing it to Furlong and I'm pretty sure it was Jed that played the pass through to Furlong where Furlong just about kept it in and, and pulled it back and then the goal kind of unfolded from there. But just just on that, Pete, before you carry on about Wallace, just because you've mentioned that there, can we just take a moment to acknowledge how unbelievably well Darnell Furlong did for that goal? Yeah, he, he's always like that full of determination and always he never lets the ball just run out of play. He's always fighting for it. Some players would just see the defender step across him and think, oh, yeah, he shielded that out. I'll let it go for a goal kick and, and reset and get back into position. But Furlong always battles for, for stuff like that and huge credit to him. And this time it paid off. He did un- unbelievably well to to keep that in and, and make something of what was almost an overhit pass. But it was a, a pass that we were trying to, to use quite often, sliding in between the fullback and the centre-back and Furlong... Again, credit to him for making the runs all, all game, well, in the first half especially. And Wallace was enjoying playing that pass and doing it quite well. In the second half, Wallace moved over to the left and there were similar combinations with, with Townsend down the left, who I thought did really well in an attacking sense and got forward and overlapped well. But Jed was just unbelievable with his passing. He had the, the most progressive passes, the highest expected threat, even had the highest expected threat received. So not only was he creating dangerous opportunities with his passes he was receiving passes in really dangerous areas and um if only his his one shot that that got blocked hadn't been blocked it looked like it was fly for the top corner and that would have really topped off his performance away days are great there's nothing quite like playing at home especially with albion's home record under carlos corbran the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery you in order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Well, look, Pete, you've... um... You, you've you've dangled the bait for me there. I can see I can see what you're doing. Don't think don't think 
that the chairman of the Connor Townsend fan club can't see when you're dangling the bait for him to go on a, a go on a bit of a Connor Townsend kick because you've mentioned how good he was at th- uh, threading balls there through there and it won't shock you to to learn Pete that um, that I've pulled up the stats on Connor. I mean, he he just had a really really good game, particularly throughout the throughout the second half. I mean, he played um, the second most balls into into the final third. It won't surprise you that that um, the other one, uh, the one who had the most, was a centre half in Bartley, um, and he was. But his were largely long balls, and he only actually completed fifty percent of them. Whereas Connor was uh, pass completions much much better. He had the second highest key passes, unsurprisingly, only behind Jed, and he was defensively brilliant as well. Zero drib- zero times dribble passed. Most headed clearances, one hundred percent of his aerial duels, and I mean, look, I, I, a joke there about me being the chairman of a, of the Connor Townsend fan club because that's what that's the way I've been dubbed. That's the thing I've been dubbed on a few um, a few WhatsApp groups, and, and look, uh, you know, I'll 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 wear that mantle with pride because because uh, backing Connor Townsend is a hill I'm very much prepared to die on because I think he's a good player. I'm certainly not going to sit here if he has had a bad game and say that say that he has because the the pod lacks credibility for a start. If if I start doing that, there's I can't. I, I've said from day one on this podcast that we will not try. We will do our best to try to not let our emotions and how we feel about certain players cloud our judgment. If if what we're seeing on the pitch with our own eyes and what we're seeing in the data suggest that a player has played a certain way then that's what we that's where how we will call it but the reason that I stick up for Connor Townsend so much is because I see him get criticism and it's not backed up in the numbers and there's a wider point that I want to make at at at, at the moment Pete but I just want to ask you whether you think that Connor Townsend is perhaps getting a little bit too much criticism because and this is something we can't measure in in numbers he's just been a little bit unlucky at the moment I mean because I I tell you what the last thing I'd do at the minute is ask Connor Townsend to um, to pick the lottery numbers for me because because uh, it'd be a waste of time. Not a single one would come in because today he for me he's done absolutely the right thing with with uh, I think he's doing his job when Lyndon Gooch has got that ball out on the right hand side. Nobody thinks Lyndon Gooch is just going to absolutely hack that uh, that cross, slice it over Alex Palmer's head and in off the post into into the back of the net. It's a freak. But it, it it comes from Connor's uh, side, and this is this is in a in a series of a few games, well, four a run of four games where three goals have come around Connor Townsend from things that I don't think any of them are his fault. Where you've got the one against Leicester where he gets left completely and utterly exposed, and for some reason people think he should be able to deal with three players on his own on a break. The one against Sunderland where I mean he slips, doesn't he? he just slips. It happens, and then obviously today you've you know he's for me he's doing the right thing. He's standing the player up. I because I I think that um I I I think that a tactic that we our players are asked to do is to not overly engage with wide men or fullbacks, not get too tight so that they can get beaten. Because I know you've run the numbers on this, Pete, um, but I ran the numbers on accurate crosses. And the amount of crosses that go into our box versus the amount that actually end up as accurate crosses, i.e. ones where, where where the opposition player gets the first contact, it's incredibly low. We've got one of the best records for defending crosses in the entire division. And I think that there is an instruction from Corbran, and a very sensible one at that, by the way, to say, don't get too tight. If you can stop the cross, great, stop the cross. But I would prefer you to stop the player getting down the line 
or basically finding a way to cut it back centrally. Because if they launch a ball into our box, a high ball into our box, I back us to defend that. And the data is there to back that up. So I think Connor is exactly doing what he's asked to do and by by not overly engaging with Gooch. And it just so happens he slices it into the back of the net. It's another one of those situations where that could happen a thousand times and 999 of them, that ball doesn't go in the back of the net. It just doesn't. So I, I, I feel like Connor Townsend has had an unlucky couple of weeks because goals have happened around him rather than them coming from anything that he's actively involved in or anything that he's actually doing wrong, Pete. And I feel like it's causing a false narrative that he's playing poorly. And I don't think he is in any way, shape or form. And there's no numbers to suggest it. And I also think there's this concept that he should be stopping more crosses, that both of them should be stopping more crosses. And I honestly believe, look, Corbrand's the only person who knows this, well, Corbrand and the players. I honestly believe that it is not a massive priority to stop the cross, especially when they're crossing from low value areas. Because I looked at the numbers over the last few games and of, uh, there was um, seven balls into our box from uh, um, uh, from uh, Stokes' right-hand side, our left uh, today. Only one of them was considered accurate, which was the freak one that's flown into the back of the net against Sunderland. Zero accurate balls into the box. Rotherham, one. Leicester, zero. These crosses that people are so obsessed with, why aren't we stopping them? Why aren't we stopping them? They're not causing us any problems. That's why we're not stopping them. Because, let me point this out, and this was evident against Rotherham because they were both unbelievable, we have got two of the best box defenders in the entire division in Kipre and Bartley. So... Where they will have a problem, where they will get exposed, is if those players can get to the byline and they can cut low balls back, or if they if we can if if they start moving the ball more centrally and finding space centrally and 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 playing balls between the lines for people to run in behind Bartley and Kipre. But I think I genuinely think Pete that there is a instruction, an idea that why should we worry about balls into the box when we have the players to defend them? I think there's ways to, to hurt us that are more effective than just whipping balls into the box. I think if teams can get into the box and get into kind of zones where they can cut back balls and, and create chances there, they're in general just, you know, higher, higher value chances, you're more likely to score from them. And they're probably more difficult for us to defend against. Um, like you say, we've got Bartley and Kipre in there who are both very good in the air. They're comfortable defending crosses. As a team, we've got the second highest aerial success rate in the whole league. Um, so as a team, we're comfortable defending crosses and winning balls in the air. So I don't think there's a complete urgency for fullbacks to get out and stop the cross. I think there's more of a focus on stopping teams from working their way into the box and creating better chances than they would from just whipping the ball into the box and, and then having to challenge either Kipre or, or Bartley. Obviously, there's still got, got to be some pressure on the cross so that you can't just completely leave the wings open and, and let teams whip crosses in all game. But I think there's more important areas to defend than just completely getting out there and stopping the cross. If we'd got two centre backs in the team that were five foot six and a goalkeeper that was also five foot six, then of course you've got to stop the cross and stop any ball getting in the box because strikers are going to have a good game, a good chance of winning some headers in there and scoring some goals. But we've got two centre backs that are good in the air. Palmer, who's comfortable 
claiming crosses or punching crosses. So I definitely wouldn't say one of our weak spots defensively is aerially or from crosses. The one against Stoke, everyone knows it was a fluke and there's not really anything you can do about that. So I don't think there's reason to create a whole picture or narrative that we desperately need to stop crosses going into the box just from one freak situation. Um, I think on the whole, it's it's not a priority of ours. Of course, it's, it is important. I'm not saying it's not important, but there's more important things to defend. I think we just need to stop teams getting into our box rather than, well, that's more of a priority than stopping teams whipping balls into the box. I agree. And I also think we need to, uh, there needs to stop this narrative that teams target our left-hand side because they don't. Um, And here's here's the data to prove that. Against Stoke, they had 4% less attacks down the left than they did down the right. Rotherham had 24% more down the left than the right. Sunderland had 4% more down the left than the right. Leicester had 14% less down the left than the right. And Cardiff had 17% more down the left than the right. That's just a series of numbers. What that goes uh, goes to prove is absolutely nothing because it just shows you that different teams have different ways of attacking. They have different weapons in their team. There's not a concerted effort that West Bromwich Albion have a weak fullback that people are trying to attack. And by the way, in those games, Stoke had one shot out of nine from our left hand, uh, our left hand side, which was the freak one that went in the back of the net. Rotherham had two out of six. Sunderland, three out of 11. Leicester, two out of nine. And Cardiff, two out of 11. That, those are not big numbers. Nobody is particularly targeting the left-hand side. Nobody is particularly creating a lot of chances, Pete. And whilst I'm not saying that they're actively avoiding it either, so I'm not sitting here saying Connor Townsend is the most feared left-back in the land. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. I'm saying that teams look at our right, look at our left and look at our middle and say, I've probably got about as much chance of scoring down any of those. It just depends on the players that they've got in their side. You know, I mean, you look you look at these these numbers, Sunderland slightly more down that side. Uh, Why? Because Patrick Roberts was having was having a a good day. Rotherham, their, their right wing back is a lot more offensive than their left left one. It's not. This isn't this isn't particularly rocket science, and you know you go th- you go through the teams, and you can you can see that you can see that teams are working on their strengths rather than our weaknesses, and uh, I mean there just seems to be it. it I don't want to be boring. I'm sure I'm sure to some people I am, but I don't want to be boring. I don't want to come on here every week and defend the fullbacks but I feel like I have to because we've got the most clean sheets in the league we've got one of the best defensive records we're giving up one of the lowest xgs per game and yet we come away from every game and I go on x and the narrative from some people is always the same our fullbacks are rubbish our fullbacks are rubbish it's all I see and None of our defenders are rubbish. We are genuinely one of the best defensive teams in the league. And I just wonder when people are going to wake up to that fact. Because if any of the fullbacks were rubbish, then we wouldn't be, we wouldn't have the most clean sheets in the league. We wouldn't have one of the lowest XGs week in, week out. Pete, I just don't, I, genuinely, I'm confused. I'm confused. I know football fans have this almost morose the uh, mentality of I've got to find something to moan about 
And I'm sure they like a lot of the attacking players at the moment. So maybe it's like, oh, I've got to turn my eye out to the defenders. Why? Why? They are, they're the best in the league. Look at the data. We're not conceding a lot of goals. So why are we moaning? I, I don't get it, Pete. Yeah, as a collective, we've got, in terms of expected goals against or conceded, um, I think we're second or third highest or lowest even. So second or third best. Um, so as a defensive unit, we're not giving away chances and we're defending very well. And if we had players in that defensive setup that were particularly suspect and, and not very good, then we wouldn't be up there as a team. Of course, some players might be slightly weaker than others defensively, but to have the third best or second best um, record is, yeah, nobody can be bad. And like you say, I think I think if you really wanted to, to pick apart something about this team at the minute, then I definitely wouldn't be looking at the defence because the numbers for that are really solid. We're worse in creating chances than we are in conceding chances. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything to really be concerned about this team at all. I think we're performing really well and we, we've sat in the playoffs. I think it's more than most people expected at the start of the season. But where where we need to improve to, to go a step further and push even higher up the league is creating chances on a more consistent basis. And that's defensively we're sound and we're, we're very good. So I'm not really sure why there's such a focus by some on... The fullbacks, really. The people under, uh, struggle to understand sometimes fullbacks that are, you know, uh, uh, primarily good defenders because they see your Trent Alexander Arnold's of this world, people, people like that, real marauding fullbacks. Even to take a championship example, they see people like Ryan Ryan Manning thundering up and down the the line, and and they think because they don't see Connor Townsend or Darnell Furlong really doing that, that they think they're playing badly and it's just but it's not playing badly it's different systems and you know and and maybe that's that's something that people are having a hard time getting their head around yeah well i think teams are, are comfortable in possession and to be fair most teams now want defenders that can play with the ball as well as be good defenders and i think in furlong and townsend we've got two two fullbacks that are very good on the ball um operate slightly differently furlong's a bit more bit more dynamic up and down the ring wing. Townsend kind of picks his moments a bit more and some um well to be fair to both of them have been drifting into central areas recently. Um and I think their ability on the balls are really um good part of the game. But I think they're good defenders as well. And in teams nowadays you need players that can do both. Can both have possession of the ball and play pick passes and help progress the team up the field and then create chances in the final third. But you, they also need to be good defenders and I just think maybe some people need to be a bit more realistic. Well, we sorry, are. Pete, I was just going to say positionally as well, because the, the re- part of the reason that people don't see Connor Townsend and Darnell Furlong pounding up the line is that whilst Townsend in particular, his role changed during the course of the 90 minutes today, in the last few games, um, Corbrand's asked them at times to actually tuck in and be quite central to kind of give the wide man that space because he wants to get the ball inside before it goes outside. Yeah, and it opens up the the passing lane to the winger because it drags the fullbacks mark fullbacks marker inside and and opens up that lane to the winger if you want to go straight from a centre back, for example. But yeah, they're they're not just playing what you'd expect to be a tra- traditional fullback. They're inverting at times and coming inside and and then going forward and overlapping at times as well. So they're they're putting a lot of work and it's quite a, a complex role tactically. It's not as simple as just you sit on the the side of the centre backs and defend there and and maybe go forward every every now and again and whipping across and then get back into position. They've got a lot to do and they're heavily involved in, in what we're trying trying to do as a team. And they do it quite well. 
um, and very well at times. And I was, yeah, I was just going to say that I think sometimes people need to be a bit more realistic that we are in the championship and obviously you can't attract the very best fullbacks in the world because you're playing championship football, you're not in the Premier League. You know, it's a different standard of football. You can attract different standard of players. And I think what we've got at the minute in Furlong and Townsend are two very good championship fullbacks. I don't think you could improve on them too much better. Couldn't improve on them too much, especially with the financial constraints that we're under at the minute. And I think, yes, they just deserve a bit more credit than they get some of the time. Here, here, Pete. I could not agree more. You said a few moments ago there that um, you feel that we have more concerns in terms of creating chances than we do in terms of defensively. And I just want to kind of pick up on that point and, and just talk about Brandon for a moment, because, I mean, you look at the data around him and it, it generally, most games, it doesn't look great. He's, he's getting a very low number of touches. He's, he's touching the ball in the opposition penalty area a small number of times as I said before today he he had less touches in the opposition penalty area than both Sarmiento and Wallace which is a little bit concerning when he's when he when he's your main forward yet on the flip side of that he has he scored another very good goal today he's scored a very clinical really really top-notch finish as he's backing away to get that strike away is fantastic from him and also you look at the overall data, Pete, and he, he's scoring a goal every two point eight games, which is not—it's it, not amazing, it's not unbelievable. But it's far from bad. It's—it's it's more than serviceable as your main uh, as your main striker. I mean, that's that—that's that—that's that, far from far from overly you know, overly concerning by by any any stretch of the, any stretch of the uh, the imagination. I mean, you you take that over a whole season and that means that Brandon finishes with with somewhere between 16 and 17 goals. Now, that's not amazing, but it's not terrible either by any uh, by any stretch. So, I just my my question really is this. I, I mean, first of all, I have a theory on Brandon in terms of his finishing that he is a better finisher when he doesn't have time to think about it. Today, there was only one thing he could do with uh, with that ball. And I think he is instinctually, I think he is actually a really, really good player. I think when he lets his instincts take over, I think he's a good player and I think he's a very, a very good finisher. I think sometimes his mind gets in the way and you look at the 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 one for example at, at Cardiff I mean he's got to bury that hasn't he and but he's he, he's seen that ball hanging there he's had too long to think about it and he he overthinks it and we've seen that a number of times from Brandon this season Millwall being another good example of where, where he's probably had too much time to look at it but yet things that happen as snapshots of moments whether that's the Stoke bicycle kick whether it's the Bristol City one I think he does unbelievably well because I think he's got phenomenal technique and he can adapt and and I th I think where he just lets his lets his muscle memory take over I think he's I think he's a much better player so I just wondered what you what you thought about that and and do you think there's any sort of a problem around Brandon in terms of him as our main striker or is the problem the rest of the team that we're not doing enough to service him because whilst he's he seems to be having to take these chances when when they when they come to him and he's doing okay with two goal every two point eight games, but what he's doing outside of that, other than other than the goals, he's as I say he's not getting a lot of touches in games. He's not getting loads of touches in the opposition uh, penalty area. To look at the data purely on a sheet, it, you you would think that Brandon's struggling, 
and yet his goals tally would suggest otherwise. I find him a bit of a quandary at the moment, Pete. I really, I don't know what to make of him. I do have a theory around his finishing that, like I say, I think he is a better instinctual finisher than when he has, uh, than, than when he has time to think about it. But in terms of his overall game, I can't work out whether he's playing well, whether he's playing poorly or whether the team just whether he actually when he gets a chance he's doing the right things most of the time other than when he overthinks it but the the team needs to do more from from him is one of those the truth or is uh, is there is there a bit of a combination in there or am i just talking utter garbage i'd say it comes back to the team not creating not enough chances some of the time and struggling against teams that sit back into a low block if you look at I mean, if you want to talk about Brandon's finishing, then um, if you look at the numbers, he's it's expected goals tally so far this season has been 6.44. From those shots that he's had, his expected goals on target tally, um, so the quality of the shots he's had is 6.91. So that's above the expected goals. Um, so it's, it's showing you that his shots that he's taken from his, he's added values, value to his chances because he's been shooting quite well. Um Although, although a big one of those, just to put it into context, Pete, will be that chance today because it was 0.72, of course. Yeah, but I mean, he scored six goals from it, so he's slightly underperforming his expected goals. But of 0.44, if he puts one away next game, he's probably overperforming it by a little bit. He's also underperforming his expected goals on target, which tells you that he's basically getting a bit unlucky. The goalkeepers making big saves against him when maybe you can expect to to have scored an extra goal. Um, so I don't think. I don't think his finishing has been as big a problem as it's been made out to be. I think the bigger problem is he's not getting enough chances. Um, this season he's averaged 0.3538, sorry, 0.38 expected goals per 90. And that puts him in the 57th percentile for the, for the championship strikers. Um, whereas last season he was averaging 0.51, uh, non-penalty expected goals per 90. And that was in like the 99th percentile for championship strikers, but he wasn't finishing them at a very good rate. So last season he was getting a lot of chances, um, but not finishing very well. This season he's not getting anywhere near as many chances, about about 60% of the chances he was last season, but he's finishing them at a much better rate. So I think as a team we need to create more, um, and if we create more then as a striker, Brandon is going to get more more chances and score more goals. Um, but I don't think his finishing has been the issue this season. I think it's more been the case that he's not getting enough chances and like I say that's it's partly down to the team but it's also partly down to the striker as the striker you've got to sniff out those chances for yourself as well and, and find space where maybe others wouldn't and find rebounds or, or tap-ins where maybe others wouldn't that's your job so he's I think he's I'd say he's been decent he's not been perfect on the whole against Stoke I think he started quite poorly quite a few loose touches and, and couldn't really keep the ball under control when it was played into him but after his goal he seemed to and it was a great finish by the way um, after his goal, he seemed to gain a bit of confidence. His touch seemed to improve, and he just he seemed to be playing a bit more freely. And then he looked a, a much better player. So, like I said, I think he's having a decent season. Definitely not amazing or perfect, but at the minute, the most important thing is he he stays fit and keeps chipping away at the goal tally. Um, well, yeah, I mean, because he's he's all we've got at the moment, isn't he? Exactly, and he's having to play such a, a huge amount of minutes. Um, I think I'm right in saying he played played the whole game against Stoke, and he did, yeah. I'm not sure about Rotherham, but... I mean, it's, it, it, that's the other thing, Pete. We're in such a difficult spot because obviously, like, since we last recorded, Maja's been uh, been ruled out for, I mean, possibly four months, possibly longer. 
I mean, there's, there's the, the word is now that even even Cleary, even when you go down to our, our young striker, he's out for like four months as well, and you're still waiting for DK to come back and see what see what fitness level he comes back at. People forget that this this is a guy who's who's come from come from League Two, own less than you know less than eighteen months ago, really, and suddenly a team that has genuine aspirations of promotion to the Premier League is pinning their goal-scoring hopes on him. It's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, it is a lot for him. Um, and I think he's, like I said, I think he's coping it with, with it quite well. But yeah, I mean, it's impressive the amount of games that he's playing. And I just checked and yeah, he played the full night against Rotherham as well. Um, so he's he's playing in a lot of minutes and it's a risk as well because like you say, we've got so many players out injured and such little such little options up front. You mentioned Cleary being out injured as well. <clears throat> so it's not like we can even look down to our, to the academy and try and bring somebody through and take a gamble on them. And then that's an even bigger ask if if you're taking a gamble on them and relying on them to score your goals to, to get promoted. It's, at least Brandon Thomas-Sante was playing in League 2 when we signed him. It's not like he's not even played senior football. But yeah, it's a lot of pressure for him. Um, it'd be a huge amount of pressure if you brought in a youth, somebody up from the academy and and ask them to to score your goals or, for you, or, or brought Mo Fowl back in January, which I've seen some people throw about. And for me, he's just he he's not he's not ready. He's not ready. I mean, he, he's he's very much learning. He started to score a few goals at at, at at Doncaster, but I mean, even he was struggling at the start of the season. They didn't rate him early doors. He's hit form now, but I mean, to, I don't think people realise what the step up from League Two to the Championship is or what the step up from youth football to the to the Championship is because, you know, most of us don't sit and watch reams and reams of youth football or reams and reams of League Two football. So we probably don't appreciate the difference. But the, the, the ask between the two is enormous, isn't it, Pete? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's two steps up from, two leagues up from the Championship is two leagues up from League Two. It's like, for example, asking a, a League One player to go into the Premier League and go and score goals for a Premier League club. When you think about that, that's, I mean, most teams would be crazy to even consider it. But um, yeah, so it's that'd be the difficulty of recalling Mo Farlan, especially when he's coming into a bit of form. You don't want to kind of take him away from that and, and say, OK, you're going to sit on the bench and you might get 20 minutes at end of games, but you're not going to be starting week in, week out, and you're not going to get as much first team football. Um, it's not going to help his development long term I wouldn't have thought and is he going to be good enough to come in and score any goals for us because because of that that step up I think it really depends on what the finances look like in January because I think we're going to struggle to see the season out when we've got we know that Madge is out for another four months I think DK's due to be back in the new year but that's the hope. Ref- that's the that's that's what we hear the hope is I mean he's back on we've seen footage of him back on grass which is a huge positive but yeah, I mean that's that's the hope. That's the hope, but you'd imagine it's going to be yeah a long recovery back for him to full match fitness because he's been out for so long. And since he's joined the album, he's not had a he's not had much luck with his injury record. So then, can you rely on him to to see out the full season? I hope you can, and I hope the injuries can be behind him because before we before we signed him. He didn't really have any history of injuries, and it just seems to be since he's joined Alvin that, well, our strikers seem to have a curse on them, getting injured every time they step on the pitch, apart from Brandon Thomas Asante. So it's going to be a very long season for, for Brandon if he's going to be our only fit striker for, for large periods of the season, and we just need to, to hope that he can, can stay fit. Lastly, just to finish off, Pete, uh, we um, 
we we go again um we before before we all have hopefully a very merry christmas um we do have another game away at middlesbrough and you you mentioned before about how the last two games have been difficult against teams who've been largely unambitious against albion couple of low blocks and you know teams that 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 really because we like to draw teams out of their shape and two teams that didn't really have any ambition to loot to leave their shape well that isn't really going to be the case against Middlesbrough. I think we think we know by now what we're going to get from Michael Carrick's uh, borough. We know that they're going to come and play a certain way, or we're going to go there and they're going to play a certain way. I should say that um, that they're they're probably going to attack us. And I mean, say it quietly, Pete. But I mean, Corbran has managed two of our most impressive performances against against Michael Carrick. I mean, I don't know whether whether you believe in the being a uh, you know, a, a particularly good matchup between two managers, and whether whether one style suits what Corbran wants us to do. I'm I'm sure I'm sure there's quite a lot in that, to be honest with you, because be, because as I say, we want to play a certain way, and we want teams to come out of their shape against us. And Middlesbrough, a team that will that will do that. But how do you how do you look at that Middlesbrough game? Because I mean, they're a funny side. They they seem to have a lot of quality. They obviously had a great season last last season. Yet they haven't had the season that, as yet anyway, that they would have been expecting. And it, as I say, I don't want to tempt fate. And please don't blame me if we get beat, um, because Albion can get beat w- without me put bringing uh, bringing the bad luck upon them. But it it, it is a manager that Corbran has enjoyed his matchups with in the recent past. Yeah. Corbran's got a good record against Carrick since he's been at the Albion, since Corbran's been at the Albion that is, and hopefully it can, can continue. I think Middlesbrough are a side that are maybe going under the radar a little bit at the minute because their points tally isn't really matching up with the performances that they're having I think. I think it'll be a very tough game to go up to Middlesbrough um, because I think they are a good side and like I say probably It'll probably, probably be blooming cold as well, Pete. Uh, Middles Middlesbrough in, dis- the, the, in, uh, in the weekend before Christmas doesn't doesn't sound like um, uh, short sleeves weather, does it? No, I went to university in Newcastle, so I know all about that. It's definitely not going to be a warm one, um, but I think it'll be a tough game for Albion because they're, they're a good side. They've got some good players and a good manager in in charge, but equally so do Albion's. So I think it'll be an interesting one, interesting tactical battle between the two. And I just hope that Corbyn can come come out on top and and keep pushing us up the league and into the well secure our playoff spots for Christmas. Absolutely, that's. Uh, I mean, I think I think the uh, the things that most Albion fans have on their Christmas list: number one, new owners, good new owners, wonderful new owners, new owners who care about the club and want to take this club forward. Two, more Carlos Corbran. Three, secure that playoff place. Four. Please, no more injuries to strikers. We just can't do it anymore. But we shall see what Christmas brings. And uh, we shall see if uh, Santa Claus can bring us new owners. That wouldn't, wouldn't that just be a present to us all? But we do have a game before we get in, uh, completely into the festive spirit. And the games are going to come thick and fast over the Christmas period. Pete and I are going to do our best to bring you a pod after every game of uh, the Christmas period. Um, they might be a little bit shorter than than they usually are, but we are certainly going to do everything we can to to bring you a pod after each and every game because 
we we just don't want to really pick between them um and we don't want to end up bundling three games into into a pod it's um it's one thing when we've when there's midweeks and there's nothing we can do about uh, about uh, doing pods because our our work commitments get in the way unfortunately but um but whilst we've uh, whilst we've both got a little bit of downtime over uh, over over christmas and we can uh, pick at the leftover turkey whilst recording um why not why not indeed so we like i say we will endeavor to bring you a pod after every game and hopefully hopefully that will start by being able to talk about a positive result from the northeast next week wouldn't that wouldn't that be absolutely fantastic but until then thanks for listening and up the baggies The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.